Gospel lesson is the text for today's message. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. The text for today's message is the gospel text from Mark chapter 1 that Pastor Arp read for us just a few moments ago. Well, we find ourselves here in the season of Advent again with a theme entitled The Season of Promise. Just four short weeks where we get to pause and consider the babe in the manger anew. And today we get to ponder the promise of preparation as Mark reveals in his gospel the work of John the Baptist. Now, in the first of these four weeks, we did something a bit different, where we looked ahead to the end of Jesus' ministry and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem so that we might begin our preparation for our coming king by keeping the end result of his birth in our minds. For as Pastor Arp stated last week, Jesus arrived to make you and to make me dearly loved, forgiven, bound for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth, sons and daughters of the one and only triune God, who is driving all human history to its grand and glorious, although a bit frightening, conclusion when Jesus comes again. A bit frightening conclusion. <laughs> Why is it frightening? Because of who Jesus is. He's the promise for which we wait, the one who is crowned king of your life on the cross. And that fact has its own implications. But we'll get to those in a minute. Now, as we explore today's theme, the promise of preparation, we do so in the light that Mark gives us in the very first sentence of his gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the light in which Mark wants us to see Jesus. Jesus 
is the Christ, which means that he is the anointed one of God. He has been selected for a singular and monumental task. And not only that, Jesus is the Son of God. So Mark starts his gospel this way to definitively and succinctly state to the Roman Christians who are enduring persecution that this Jesus proclaimed to them and in whom they now have faith is the very Son of God who has been anointed by the Father to be a willing and complete sacrifice for the sin of the world. Persecuted as they may be, they are not without hope because they have Jesus and the gifts and the promises he brings. Now, if Mark were here today, I think he would want us to continually see Jesus in this light. For this, for it is this Jesus, the Messiah and Son of God, who will light our path and continue to lead us through even the most lifeless wildernesses of our lives unto everlasting life with him. Now, of course, Mark doesn't really put a lot of flourish in his writing, and he doesn't miss a beat. He quickly quotes Old Testament prophets Isaiah and Malachi. And with this recollection of prophecy, we are reminded that we have a God who is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. John the Baptist, in his life and his ministry, fulfills Scripture. And what was John's message? Well, it was the message of the prophets to repent and to turn back to God. The prophet Joel describes this turning that God seeks from us as the rending of your hearts and not your garments. For your God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. If God has a desire for mercy, how did his mercy arrive in our text today? By calling his people into the wilderness to repent and to be baptized. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Mark writes. But what else do we see in this text? It's right in front of our eyes. It's the wilderness. The wilderness is a very large motif in the life and the history of Israel. And today we'll explore two contexts of this notion of wilderness. Of course, one has a connotation of wandering around or just feeling lost. But you see, God takes that and he makes use of it. When Israel rejected the call of God to come and take the land promised to them, the wilderness is the place where God took the time to teach his people to trust and to rely upon him. Ultimately, for Israel, the wilderness became a time of preparation for what was promised to come. And this brings us to our second context regarding the wilderness. In Christ, the wilderness is a place of hope. Why did all of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem go out to John? 
Well, prophecy itself had ceased for something like 400 years, and this guy looks like a prophet? He speaks like a prophet, and he eats like a prophet. You couple that now with people anxiously waiting for the Messiah, and hope abounds. They go, hoping that John is the Messiah, and if not, at least a prophet. For Israel remembers. It was in the wilderness that they met God at Mount Zion. As God guided them to himself through the waters of the Red Sea. In the wilderness, they received the law. They experienced a portion of what it meant to live alongside the God of heaven and earth. And here in the wilderness, John calls God's people to repentance. And, to, and he delivers the hope of forgiveness and restoration through a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But that's not all John does. John points not to himself, but to another. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie, John says. The one who is coming is the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In our sin-stained world, it is so easy to see the wilderness moments of our lives and to lean towards despair. After all, it seems that sin sees to it that life is actually filled with unknowns or experiences that one might describe as a wilderness. But as our text shows us today, it is here in the wilderness that the hope of God bursts onto the scene. Water and food are scarce in the wilderness, yet the Lord provided for the Israelites for 40 years as he prepared them for life in the promised land. And what was his call in the wilderness? The same as John the Baptist, repent and receive forgiveness and life. Rid yourselves of your pride and seek to leave, live with humility. Don't you see your frailties? Don't you see your failures? Do you really think that you are any better than the person you're sitting next to? By no means. Remember, Paul has told us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory in the, of God. But in the wilderness, there is hope. The call to repentance is literally a call to turn around and see that Jesus is pursuing you. For Paul also revealed that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Are you in the wilderness today? Well, only you can answer that. But it is most likely that each and every one of us has something going on that we would most certainly classify 
as a wilderness. And if that is the case for you, I encourage you to head out further into the wilderness, to turn and seek the one who is telling you to repent, the one who is telling you that Christ is coming. The Christ that is crucified, dead, buried, and raised to life for you. You can find it in hearing God's Word, listening to sermons, regular Bible study, and devotions, and the mutual conversation of friends and family and acquaintances that believe in Jesus and proclaim this truth. And the truth that we proclaim is this, that Jesus is the Christ, the very Son of God, born of a virgin, lived life perfectly according to the law, and willingly went to the cross for the payment of the sin of the world. There he died and was buried. He was raised from the grave on the third day. He is ascended into heaven, and he is coming again to make all things new. You see, John's call to repentance and his call to come out to him in the wilderness to be baptized are two aspects of the same reality. To be baptized in the Jordan River means that Israel must come once again into the wilderness. As Israel long ago had been separated from Egypt by a pilgrimage through the waters of the Red Sea, the nation is now called to a second exodus in preparation for a new covenant with God brought by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So how do we prepare for this coming king? Well, the text calls us to hear the call and to go to the wilderness, for in the wilderness is an opportunity to repent and turn. Turn away from the idols of your heart and discover that complete and deep satisfaction of your soul in God through faith in Jesus Christ. We have a merciful and a loving and a gracious Heavenly Father who's pursuing you and seeking to restore you to the fullness of your, of your humanity, to dwell in His real presence, now by faith and forever in our promised land of the new heaven and new earth. You see, whether God is seeking to teach you to, rely, to fully rely on Him or He is preparing you for some work to come in the wilderness that you are in, He promises that He will use the wilderness for your good. How do we know? Because our rescue from the slavery of sin and death is already accomplished. It was in the wilderness that the Holy Spirit came to you in the waters of your baptism to forgive your sins and claim you as a living child of the Heavenly Father. True, we have not yet entered into the promised land, which means that here in this wilderness, God is still seeking to shape us and form us into the fully human human beings that trust Jesus completely and without wavering. Yet, we are distracted. <laughs> the world offers many solutions to help us escape our wilderness experiences. 
But today's text reveals that life is actually found in the wilderness. And it teaches us the way to life. The first of which is to know the story of God. Know the Old Testament prophecies and see their fulfillment in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Secondly, to hear the message of John, to repent and to turn back God, for if you turn, you will see him pursuing you. And thirdly, keep your awakened heart focused solely on Jesus. Like John, now turn and proclaim to one another the one that is greater than yourself for the redemption of others so that they too might repent and see. See Jesus. And this is important because there are implications to our lives regarding the one who is crowned the king of your life on the cross. For Jesus is not just a great human being, but God himself. And if this God became not a king who just sits on a throne, but one who goes to the cross of Calvary for you, how should you respond to him? If we look at Scripture, we see that every response to Jesus is extreme. John Stott, in his book, Basic Christianity, explains this well. He says that people that heard Jesus and actually met Jesus and understood what he was saying, well, they always reacted in an extreme way. They either hated him and tried to wipe him out, or they were scared of him, and they tried to get as far away from him as possible. Or they knelt at his feet in submission. Those are the only three rational responses, and they are all extreme. Now, if your reaction to this was anything like mine, you're saying, well, I really don't want to be an extremist. But Stott goes on to say that being an extremist like Jesus won't make you look like an extremist. Because Jesus will make you intensely gentle. Jesus will make you intensely loving. Jesus will make you intensely humble. And that sounds pretty good to me. So where do we start in our preparation for the coming king? What are these tangible ways that we can prepare and make, make paths straight for the Jesus return? Well, we do have his commands to love one another, forgive one another, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you. But most days we don't find those so easy, do we? Yet we are still commanded to do them. And that's something we get to work on here in this wilderness. So maybe for today in this wilderness and in this moment, we can make it just a little bit simpler. 
and do this. Always remember who this king is. He's the Messiah, the anointed one of the Father, the very Son of God. And that has its implications. Two, know where you meet him. Even in the wilderness, you meet him in his holy word and in his sacraments. Repent and turn and see that he is pursuing you with this meal. Turn and see that a lot of good comes to us in the wilderness. And once you have met Jesus, be willing to become intensely gentle and humble and loving while you now follow him to the cross. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Our weekly awakening question this week is simply this. How will you prepare this week for Jesus' arrival in your life? How will you prepare this week for Jesus' arrival in your life?